You're listening to Talking Taiwan with your host, Felicia Lin. December 10th is International Human Rights Day. It's also an important day in Taiwan's history and a turning point in Taiwan's transition from authoritarianism to democracy. I'm referring to the 1979 Kaohsiung Incident, also known as the Formosa Incident. I could do an entire episode about that topic alone, but instead I thought I'd address something more current. We will include some links to sources about the Kaohsiung Incident on our website for those wanting to know more. To mark this year's International Human Rights Day, I reached out to Yibi Huang, the CEO of Covenants Watch, to talk about Li Mingzhi, a Taiwanese activist who has been imprisoned in China since 2017. Covenants Watch is an NGO based in Taipei, Taiwan. It is committed to promoting human rights and equality for all people. Despite Taiwan not being a member of the United Nations, Covenants Watch ensured that Li Mingzhi's case was the first from Taiwan that was taken up by a UN special mechanism, namely the Working Group on Enforced or Involuntary Disappearances, the WGEID. Evie talked to me about Li Mingzhi's case and other Taiwanese who have gone missing or been imprisoned in China. Here's our interview. Welcome to the podcast, Yibi. Hello, Felicia. Thank you for having me. Could you tell me how you met Mingzhe? I met Mingzhe when he was a volunteer at Covenant's Watch in 2016. Covenant's Watch is an NGO coalition composed of um, human rights groups to monitor the implementation of the domesticated UN treaties um, here in Taiwan. Uh, Mingzhe helped us organize some training programs on UN treaties for um, self-advocates and human rights activists. That's how I get to know Mingzhe. For people that don't know who he is, can you introduce him a little bit to the audience and tell us a little bit about his background? Okay. Uh, Li Mingzhe is a Taiwanese um, human rights activist. Um, he was born in 1975, and he's a second-generation immigrant from China, which means um, his parents fled to Taiwan with the KMT government when they lost the civil war to the communists in 1949. And his father was a senior science and technology uh, officer in a government research institute. And uh, Mingzhe showed um, strong interest in public affairs when he studied uh, philosophy in college. Um, not surprisingly, his earliest um, political involvement was with the youth section of the pro-China New Party because it's Chinese um, background. But um, during the college years, he spent a lot of time participating in student-led social movements and pro-democracy activities organized by pro-DPP students, where he met his future wife, Ms. Li Jingyu. So I guess um, his political views went through a drastic transition and later develop a Taiwanese identity because of those um, hand-on experiences. It's also my understanding that he did work for a number of NGOs. Were there other NGOs that he worked for? And can you tell me about what sort of work he did with them? He was working for Wenshan Community College as a curriculum manager when he was arrested by the Chinese authorities in 2017. But in his spare time, he do volunteer in several NGOs, including a self-advocacy NGO focusing on transgender issues. 
a lot of things that I've read was that he was involved with um, the DPP and the independence movement. Can you comment on that? Yes. Um, after graduation from university, he started to work for DPP in their social development department. And he also worked for some prominent DPP legislators as an assistant in the parliament. And uh, he also joined uh, some major elections as um, campaigner for DPP candidates. And later, um, he was a secretary to assist the DPP appointed labor, uh, Minister Lu, uh, Lu Tianling, in the central government. But um, actually, I don't know him long and well enough to comment on his prior engagement with the Taiwan independence movement. But uh, on the other hand, it's understandable that his work would, um, would be interpreted as part of the independence movement, because in Taiwan, almost every policy or political debate was carried out um, with the issue of Taiwan-China relations as the backdrop. And since DPP is a um, well-known, I mean, the well-known fact of DPP is that it is a pro-Taiwan independence political party. So I imagined Mingzhe who has been working with uh, DPP for so long will have to uh, will have to deal the issue and defend DPP's position of the time. We know that he was um, arrested when he was in China in 2017. Um, what was the reason that he was in China at that time? Actually, um, he just started to reach out to Chinese netizens. Uh, through China-based social media from uh, 2014. And he used group chat to introduce the history of Taiwan and how Taiwan transformed itself from a totalitarian regime to a new vibrant democracy. And he talks, his talks covered topics like um, white terror period and also it covered um, issues like transitional justice. And every year, uh, Mingzhe will use his spare time to visit China to meet up with his Chinese friend. So on that day, he was arrested by the Chinese. Um, he was leaving for Guangzhou for the annual meeting. Um, what do we know about the circumstances of his arrest? I've heard it described as a kidnapping. Um, I don't know if what details you have about the circumstances. I prefer to use the jargon um, enforced disappearance to describe uh, what happened to him. Um, Mingzhe uh, was missing as soon as he entered China from Macau. And a friend was waiting for him at the airport to pick him up, but uh, he never showed up. So the friend informed uh, Li Jingyu, his wife. And Jingyu tried to contact these authority concerned of uh, both China and Taiwan, trying to figure out what really happened to her husband, mm -hmm. but uh, no any meaningful information. So on March 24th, uh, Li Jingyu, along with um, human rights groups, organized the first press conference, requesting the Chinese government to explain what really happened at the immigration. Mm -hmm. yeah. And how long had uh, Mingzhe been missing at that point? Uh, because he was missing on the 19th. Okay. So, yes. So it went on public. It's like uh, four days already. Right. When did the Chinese authorities make a statement about what happened to Mingzhe? 
we organized the first uh, press conference on March 24th, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But uh, it takes five days. Five days later, on March 29th, uh, China's uh, Taiwan Affairs Office, Guotaiban, for the first time confirmed in a uh, press conference around midnight that Mingzhe mm -hmm. was under investigation on suspicion of endangering national security. However, the spokesperson refused to disclose, to disclose his whereabouts and the details of the investigation. And it took another month in May that the Chinese authority admitted that Mingzhe was officially arrested on a charge of incitement of subversion of state power. Wow. So over a month, that's terrible. That must have been really yeah. nerve-wracking. I just want to understand the timeline of events. So May was the yeah. first time that you had an official statement from the Chinese government the Chinese that he was, yeah. yeah, that he was in fact arrested, and that I know that um, in September of 2017 that he pled guilty and he made a confession. Now I'm wondering what is there anything that happened between May and September? Mm, nothing big happened. Mm -hmm. Actually, the Chinese authority kept uh, silence for quite a while. Yeah. Then in early September, they, they, some businessmen from Taiwan called mm -hmm. Jingyu mm -hmm. and told her that um, the hearing, the court hearing on Li Mingzhe's case was scheduled to happen on the 11th of September and asked her to fly to China a few days before the hearing. So it wasn't even through an official channel that mm. she was contacted? It was this some businessman? Nope. Actually, um, right after President Tsai took office, hmm. um, the Chinese government kind of cut off um, all the right. official channels. That's incredible for me to think that uh, she was contacted in such an official manner, but then what did you do? I mean, you have to verify, you know, with the authorities that this is true and so forth and make arrangements if she's going to go there, right? Actually, Jingyu uh, was planning to fly with us to Geneva uh, on September 9th, just two days before the hearing. But when we scheduled the flight, we didn't realize that the hearing would happen on the 11th of September. But because we announced our plan to go to the UN to, to file the appeal, so we thought that the Chinese government deliberately, you know, scheduled the, mm. the, the, the court hearing earlier, right before our, yeah, so earlier, you, you know, mm -hmm. yes. So it's like a, a malicious manipulation. Mm. Yeah, to prevent Jingyu to to directly speak to the special hapokters in the UN. Wait, so then because of that, you had to cancel the plans to go to the UN? Is that what you're saying? No, we, we, we didn't cancel that. But uh, it was me and one of my colleagues that represent Jingyu at the UN meetings. Oh, and then she went to China on her own? Yes. Oh, wow. She heard from this uh, businessman that Mingzhe was going to have his trial was going to be in September, and then I guess somehow that would have to be verified by the Chinese authorities, and then she would have to make plans to be there yes. for the the trial, right? And so, did she have yes. any difficulty when she was trying to arrange to be there? 
Um, not really. Actually, his um her travel document to China uh, was nullified when she planned to fly to Beijing in April to directly confront the Beijing um, government. Um, but uh, for this occasion, the Chinese government just granted her a single entry visa for her to be there uh, for the court hearing. So she had previously tried to go to China not long after they stated that Mingzhi was under investigation, but they didn't grant her permission then. But then for the hearing, they did. At the hearing, was that when they learned that he had made a confession? Yes, he did confess what he had done in previous years. But uh, in a normal country, I think these things would be regarded as um, an exercise of the freedom of speech. But yes. in a Chinese court, he had to say that his actions were regarded as a crime to subvert the state power. So um, after the hearing, uh, Jing Yu pleaded to the Taiwanese people for their understanding. She said that uh, what Mingzhi did and said in court was not what he meant. So I think everyone in Taiwan should be able to appreciate that um, Mingzhi didn't really give in to China's pressure. He just needed to play his part. You know, so as to go through this ridiculous political drama orchestrated by the Chinese government. Um, so people believe that it's a forced confession, right? And so why do you say that it was a forced confession? Um, actually, we don't know for sure whether uh, Mingzhi was under any kind of um, torture for him to make those confession, but. Um, we learn from the history. Um, many human rights lawyers and activists share their uh, life stories about how they were tortured to confess after they were released. Uh, for example, in an amnesty report of uh, 2015, one human rights lawyer shared that he was strapped in an iron chair and got slapped and had hit with a plastic bottle filled with water. And the other lawyer said that he was questioned approximately 200 times with wow. 10 public security officials assigned to interrogate him in three shifts every day. Oh, my goodness. And his wrist was shackled behind his back with handcuffs mm. deliberately so far too tight. And he mm. said that it was so painful at that time that he didn't want to live. And I'm not sure whether you are aware of this um, Swedish NGO worker named Peter Darling. He was based in Beijing when he was, when he was arrested. Mm -hmm. And he testified later, um, he's, he, he told the uh, New York Times that he was under intense questioning and deprived of um, sleep. And he also heard his colleague being beaten up by oh. interrogators. Mm -hmm. So he agreed, you know, to make a televised confess because he knows that he mm -hmm. he was going to be deported very soon. So he mm -hmm. thought that if he made uh, the confession as quick as possible, then his colleague, his, his Chinese colleague would be able to be released soon. So that's mm -hmm. why he made the confession. Mm -hmm. So I think the similar thing might happen to, to Mingzhi. 
even though right. it's not uh, it, it doesn't have it doesn't have to be a physical one it can be a mental you know mm-hmm. mental pressure right and so a lot of these examples are things that happen to people who who had direct experience in China so i also read that the hearing was in September but then he wasn't sentenced until November so um is this unusual this timeline because first he was arrested as you later found out in March but then the hearing wasn't until September and then he wasn't sentenced until November I think everything could be considered normal <laughs> or abnormal in in China Yeah, I, I don't you know, know what the standard is. Hard, so. You know, yeah. it's hard for a Taiwanese to imagine that you detain someone for two months, then you mm-hmm. officially declare that he was officially arrested. I think this kind of practice violated uh, every um, related international human rights standards. Maybe, yes, but uh, it's clearly prescribed in their own uh, criminal procedural law. Uh, can you imagine that? Because in Taiwan, you can only detain a person for 20 hours, 24 hours mm-hmm. for investigation. Then you need the permission from the court. It is necessary to detain a person in, in a detention center, you know, to secure the evidence. And so he was sentenced in November and then um, sentenced to five years imprisonment, right? Yes, yes. Um, so since... The hearing has um, Jingyu been able to visit him in China? Uh, yes, uh, for the past uh, four years, Jingyu was able to make um, 16, 16 trips to wow. visit uh, Mingzhe in in Chishan prison in Hunan. Mm. But uh, actually, it was very difficult for her, just as I told you that uh, her travel document to China has been nullified. So every time she wanted to uh, fly to China, she needs to um, have a prior consent from the Chinese uh, authority. Mm. And it could be very difficult for her because sometimes um, they would just deny her request to visit Mm -hmm. um, Mingzhe as a retaliation to her comments, her critical comments on the, man- on the management of the prison or on the Chinese authority. And what could you clarify, what do you mean by her travel documents have been nullified? Meaning like she doesn't have a visa? Okay, for any Taiwanese who want to travel to, to China, you don't apply for a visa. You need you need to apply for a document called uh, Tai Bao Zheng. Mm-hmm. Yes. So uh, Jing Yu used to have uh, Tai Bao Zheng before uh, the incident. But uh, right after uh, Li Mingzhe's case happened, her travel document was nullified, which means that uh, she could not uh, fly to China without prior consent of the Chinese authority. And he, she tried to, um, because for a general, uh, for the general, for a general Taiwanese person, he can apply this kind of uh, document to a travel agent. The travel uh, no, agent. Through, uh, maybe not, 
to a travel agent, but through a travel agent. But、uh, no travel agency would take up、um, Jingyu's application.、Mm-hmm. Yeah.、Um, and since I'm a Taiwanese American, I have heard about typeouts and. So, but I would like you to explain it a little bit more for my listeners. So, if some, if a Taiwanese person has a type out, then that means they can apply for it, and then they are able to freely come and go to China. Is there, is that how it works? Is there a certain time limit on that? Because I, I myself, I don't have this kind of、um, document because I hate the name type out. Exactly, I'm, I'm a Taiwanese. A, I'm not、right. a Chinese. A Taiwan, a Taiwanese Chinese compatriot. So yes, I never. Yes, that's another another、yeah. issue. I understand that because the 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 name of the document, as you said, typewriter, and it says it's like what is. Could you explain the translation again?、Uh, maybe it could be translated into a Taiwanese compatriot、mm-hmm. document. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It basically yeah. the implication is that the ta- Taiwan or Taiwanese is. Part of China or Chinese? Yes, that we are part、okay. of them, and Taiwanese yeah, is、right. uh, are considered Chinese with that document. If someone doesn't want to use that, you have a personal objection to that. Is there any other way that you can apply to enter China if you want to visit or go there for some reason? Nope, because、um, my nationality is Taiwanese. I don't have. I'm not a like you a. Taiwanese American or Taiwanese something, so my passport is the only official document that I travel with. Actually, there's a very bad policy introduced by the Chinese government、uh, for an American who wants to make a flight transit in China. He doesn't have to to apply for a entry visa in advance, right? Because you you are just making the transit. You are not. You are. Not intending to enter China、uh, for Taiwanese tourists, even though you just want to make a transit,、uh, you have to have Thai Belgian、wow. to land on China. So、mm-hmm. I never take、um, flights that have to make transits in China. Yeah, yeah. it's horrible. Yes. Yeah, yeah. This、mm-hmm. is an interesting point.、Oh, I have heard of it before, but I didn't really understand all of the. Finer details. Since I don't have this kind of、um, document, I was not interested <laughs> in digging, in, you、yeah. know, digging it into that.、Sure. So I don't really know the, for example, the 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 duration or the、yeah. you know, how long it can be valid、mm-hmm. for you to travel with. Sorry, I cannot answer questions. The Taipei Zheng, which can be translated as Taiwan Compatriot Permit. Is a document that allows Taiwanese to travel to China and to stay there for extended periods of time. It is valid for five years, but the serial number of the permit will remain unchanged for a person's lifetime. I was interested in talking a little bit more about the actual trial、um, because I also saw an article which was pretty was pretty impressive to me. I saw a photo of Junyu. At the trial, and she had the words "Li Mingzhen, proud of you" tattooed、yes. on her arms because 
the caption said that um, she had them tattoos on her forearm so that she could hold them up during the trial because she knew that she wouldn't be able to speak. Can you talk a little bit about that? Were those real tattoos or something that she just had painted on for the trial? No, they're the real tattoo. Actually, when, when we first saw the tattoo on her forearm, it was on a press conference mm-hmm. to to announce her departure to China. Uh, in the afternoon, so in the mo- uh, actually she was leaving for uh, China, and my colleague and I uh, were leaving for Geneva on the same afternoon. So in the morning, we held a press press conference, mm-hmm. and we were you know every one of them was shocked to see that um, uh, those words, uh, just as you mentioned, mm-hmm. that Li Mingzhe, I'm so proud of you on her forearms because. Um, you can still see the blood, you know, oh yeah, coming out because wow. um, it, it was so fresh. Oh my so, goodness. you know, you can still, not, maybe not the, uh, how do you call it? Um, the reddish. Yeah, it was reddish because it's inflamed because, yeah, I mean, when you get a tattoo, yeah. Yeah, and, and a bit swollen. Wow. And it was so painful, you know, yes. for her because she she's so afraid of needles. You know? Oh my goodness! So, yeah, so That's it took her really the whole afternoon to get them done in the previous day. Wow! Yes. Wow. So she was so brave. <laughs> yes. What would you say about Jingyu in your dealings with her? Because uh, I think we need to give some credit to her too for how outspoken she's been and um, trying to get attention for her husband yes um uh i think jingyu is a very strong and determined woman with strategies so um she's decided early on that she would save her husband in a righteous and dignified way so she believed that it was as important if not more important to preserve Mingzhe's um dignity as his per- personal safety as well so um I think maybe it has something to do with um, her expertise. Uh, Jingyu is an experienced researcher on Taiwan's white terror mm. period. And he had very clear ideas and strategies how to deal with a with the totalitarian government of um, China. So I think it's fair to say that she was the primary agenda setter in the early stage of her movement. But at the same time, she also respected the judgment and autonomy of um, NGOs involved in the campaign. Can you comment a little bit about what happened when you were in Geneva? Right after uh, the Minja's disappearance, because we cannot get any uh, meaningful information from the Chinese government, we thought, uh, even though Taiwan is not a UN member, but since um, the Minja was persecuted by the Chinese government and China being a member of the UN. So maybe we should resort to the UN human rights mechanisms to make it to make this case to gain more international support. Mm-hmm. So I filed the petition in April to several uh, special mechanisms under the UN Human Rights Council. And later on, the Working Group on Enforced or Involuntary Disappearance 
uh, so-called uh, WGEID, uh, took up the case. And they granted us the opportunity to directly speak to uh, those five um, experts sitting on board in the WGEID about what really happened to Li Mingzhe and how they could do to help. So they invited us to report to the WGEID in September. But um, because, uh, as you know, uh, the UN introduced a new policy saying that everyone who wants to visit um, a UN office, he or she has to go with a, a official ID uh, mm-hmm. issued by a UN member. Mm-hmm. So uh, my colleague and I, Yiling and I, um, the only official ID documents that we travel with is um, our passport from the Taiwanese government. So right. it was really a issue that uh, we, we were wondering along, you know, on the flight, thinking that can we really get into the UN and make right. the report? And right. we, we really want to, actually the WGEID offered that we can do the report um, outside the UN. Hmm. But since the case was the first, that was officially taken up by a UN mechanism. So mm-hmm. almost our colleagues uh, wanted us to do it in UN because it has mm-hmm. it's like a historical landmark. Yeah, right. Yes. And so so, so actually, it was with the assistance of, uh, from our office, our Taiwanese office in in Geneva and mm-hmm. also with the assistance uh, of some international friends that Yiling and I got into uh, the headquarters, the UN headquarters in Geneva and finished and, and completed the report. And oh. yes, I, I remember that I cried, I burst into tears, you know, when, when mm-hmm. the guard mm-hmm. at the front door mm-hmm. uh, rejected my ent- entrance. Oh my yes, yes. So it took quite a while to really get into there to do my job. Uh, yeah, I was very curious about that because I know I'm in New York City and we have um, UN headquarters here too. And I've heard stories of people, who, Taiwanese people, who wanted to enter the building and weren't able to. Um, so yeah, it's a very difficult issue for sure but i'm glad that you're able to to get in with the help of the your geneva office yeah lucky me and now for a short break talking taiwan is the longest running taiwan related podcast and we are dedicated to bringing you stories connected to taiwan and taiwan's global community help us to grow and continue producing engaging content by making a contribution on patreon at patreon.com forward slash talking Taiwan. It's good to have this on the record in the UN, but what pressure can they really put on China or what accountability can they really, you know, keep on them? I don't know. Actually, they, after they took up the case, they, uh, they sent out several communications to the Chinese government uh, for Mingzhe. But uh, you can imagine that uh, China did reply but uh, without any meaningful information, just saying that, oh, he, he was um, under 
some kind of、um, investigation related to national security issues, so we cannot reveal、uh, where he was since he was under、um, a a investig、uh, in the investigation, something like that.、Mm-hmm. But I think the WGID、uh, try to do their best. Right, and I understand that he was moved around to different prisons. For a time, right? Was that at the beginning of like not long after he was、um, sentenced? He was moved around. Oh, actually, he was sentenced. He he started his serving term in Chishan Prison in、mm-hmm. December two thousand and seventeen, and the、okay. unexpected transfer happened in October, twenty eighteen, right before China would be put under. The Universal Periodic Review in UN.、Hmm. So the timing was interesting. What is the、yeah. Universal Periodic Review? So、uh, it's a part of the human rights、uh, mechanism. So every state mem-、uh, member state of the UN has to be under some scrutiny by their peers、mm-hmm. uh, every four to five years.、Mm-hmm. So it was、uh, around the second Universal Periodic Review of、um, China, which means that a group of、um, countries will review their human rights records for the past、uh, four or five years. Yeah. So he was transferred to a different prison right before that review. Yes. Is that what you're saying? And what、yes. was that? What was the difference between the prison that he was at before and then transferred to? Actually,、uh, the prison that he was transferred to was di- was directly controlled by the Ministry of、um, Justice, and people said it's a more.、Um, I mean,、uh, people said that the conditions, the living conditions,、uh, were much better than Chishan Jianru, where、um, Mingzhe was serving his term. So. People suspected maybe it was a gesture by the Chinese government, you know, to to show to the world that they are、uh, treating Mingzhe nicely. But、uh, it also again took us by surprise that、uh, Mingzhe was trans- transferred back to Chishan Jianru after two weeks. So we really didn't didn't know what the transfer is all about. Yeah, it's very strange. And so he's remained in Chishan Prison for the, for the majority of his sentence,、yes. right? Yeah. And、um, supposedly he's supposed to be released in April of next year. Yes, but、mm-hmm. it's a bit tricky because、uh, on top of the five year sentence.、Mm-hmm. Um, He was imposed a、uh, additional p- penalty of、uh, a two-year deprivation of political rights, and、oh. he was the first Taiwanese to be imposed a sanction like this. So we don't know whether he can return to Taiwan after he completes the five-year term in China, because according to the Chinese law, if you are、um, Imposed on、uh, a、um, deprivation, a penalty of deprivation of、um, liberty for certain years.、Uh, that deprivation only starts when you finished your terms in jail.
So which means that it was, it, it could be possible that the Chinese government will uh, keep Mingzhe in China for another two years for him to endure the two year of um, deprivation of political rights. So now the NGO demand our government to negotiate with the China, China with Chinese government to make sure that um, Mingzhe can come back to Taiwan right after he finishes five year term. Yeah, I mean that's kind of I'm trying to understand this because I mean he's not um, a Chinese he's not a citizen, Chinese. and so why so, should he be subject to this deprivation of rights, political rights? Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. another way of them uh, saying that, you know, you're like, you're Chinese, basically, to me. That's yeah. crazy. Um, can you talk about how he's been treated while he's in prison? Because I also read that there are some questionable things like Qingyu had tried to send him some medication because he has high blood pressure and he had clothing that was for when the climate gets colder and I heard there were like certain issues with um, him getting things like that and, and also access to his bank account, his funds. Yes. Um, okay. Because the uh, because of the transfer, uh, Mingzhe have to start from scratch in Chishan Jianyu which means that um, his um, level could be downgraded and uh, his um, account will be frozen. So he cannot buy food for himself because the food there was so bad. Uh, Jingyu once told us that um, after a, a hard day of work in the prison factory making sneakers, um, most of the time, Mingzhe will feel too, too tired mm -hmm. to eat the food. And be, also because the food that provided in prison was stale. Yeah. So Mingzhe lost like 30 kilograms mm. within one year. Wow. So because um, now his account has been frozen, he could not buy any food for himself. He what he can do, you know, just just to endure the, the really bad food or he starved. And um, because of the transfer, he used uh, his previous kept belongings or clothes were thrown away. So for quite some period of time before Jing Yun can, can uh, send him some more clothes, he was like freezing. Oh. So yeah. this all happened when he was transferred for those two weeks? And then transferred back. Yes. Um, wow. And you said that he was downgraded. So what does that mean? Does that mean depending on how long you've been serving your sentence that you can, yes. like, I mean, kind of like parole, like you can earn some points or something? Yes. Towards... Actually, I don't know that much about yeah. the progressive um, mm -hmm. treatment system in China. Yeah. But it is said that they would grade um, prisoners into different levels. Mm. So when you are a freshman, you know, you don't have any uh, points yeah. that, you know, that can help you right. cope with the behavior bad. or yeah. something like that. Yes. 
So by the transfer, he lost all the points.、Mm. So he has to start it fresh.、Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And、um, has Jingyu been able to、uh, send him some medication? Because I understand that he has high blood pressure or some other issues. Um. Actually,、uh, it is not allowed for the family members to send him the medications. So、uh, it is the prison management that will provide him with the medication that he needs. But、uh, I'm not sure whether、uh, Ningzhi really on the medication or not. Yeah. Because、um, I guess it's reasonable to worry about the quality or whether the medication are authentic or not. You know,、oh, so、boy. yeah. Not only just what kind of medical treatment he's getting, but the medication itself. Wow. <laughs> yes, but、uh, because、um, it was in January 2020 that Jingyu last saw him. So it means that for the two, for the past almost two years, we. No one can really see how he was doing,、yeah. so we cannot be sure about his most recent medical condition or his health conditions.、Right. So we can only pray that you know no news is good news. Oh, <laughs> so you haven't had、yeah. any communication, Jingyu, or you have not had any communication with him. Nobody can communicate him with him, like he can't send any letters or anything like that. Actually, for the last、uh, two years, Jingyu、uh, only、uh, got the letter from Mingzhe. Okay. So actually,、um, the Chinese law says that a a prisoner has the right to make、uh, regular phone calls to、yeah. his family members. Right. But in Mingzhe's case,、uh, he was prevented to exercise this right. Right. Yes. So it's very difficult for. Jingyu to to you know to check in with、uh, how he's doing. Yeah, I'm trying to understand then to let the audience know that、um, they're basically relegated to letters, which is ridiculous. And I understand that there was a speaking of letters that there was a letter writing campaign、uh, for Li Mingzhi. Yes. So for the past years, the rescue team. Has organized a variety of、um, activity to mobilize public support、um, on the international and national level. So,、uh, write a postcard or letter to Mingzhe is one of them. So, the campaign to write Mingzhe a postcard started、um, on Mingzhe's first birthday after his imprisonment on February twenty fifth, two thousand and eighteen. Then followed by the. Three hundred and sixty-five letters to Mingzhe,、mm-hmm. and at the same time, Amnesty International also launched a parallel letter writing marathon for Mingzhe's case.、Mm-hmm. So, of course,、uh, the NGOs we are aware that、um, the chances for Mingzhe to receive these postcards or letters are slim.、Mm-hmm. However, you know, still hold on to the hope that once Mingzhe receives one of the letters, he will know that. Uh, the very piece of the paper that he received carries all the best wishes and warmest regards. Sorry.、Oh. <laughs> so, such a difficult、sorry. situation. I'm sorry. 
it's very it's really troubling it's okay take your time so um he would know that the very piece of the paper that he receives carries all the best wishes and woman's regards from hundreds of people out there that care about him so um actually um Jingyu, um, transcribed some of the letters and sent them to Mingzhe. Oh, that's wonderful. And many letters have been kept um, as copies and or electronic files for Mingzhe to yeah, read because you when never they come know. back home. Yeah, yeah, it's terrible that you have to do that because you don't know if if they were actually sent, if they would be confiscated, and then we would they, they would never see the light of day. So I'm glad that. Um, she's doing that and that you're doing that so that there's some actual evidence of this because, um, yeah, unfortunately, when it comes to dealing with China, we just don't know. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, I think in a sense, these postcards and letters were actually addressed to the Chinese authority mm. and prison management mm -hmm. because, um, yes, because uh, even though Minja may not be able to read those letters, mm -hmm. they do. Right. Mm. Um, so um, I think these letters can function as a warning, and also that um, a warning that send out our message. And our message is clear that um, we just want them to know that Mingzhe is not on his own. There are many Li Mingzhe's out there mm. who stand with him. What has been the response from the public? Um, to Li Mingzi's, um situation, like what kind of support has there been? Because it seems that um, a lot of the support that I've seen has been through NGOs and things like that, but I'm not sure about like what the general public or the society, the people in Taiwan, like what their support has been like with this case. Indeed, compared to other rescue operations that we have in the past, it was more difficult to get Taiwanese to sign up to help because um, many of them have relatives or friends living in China or they themselves may someday work or study there. So I think their signatures on the petition papers might well be you know, something that the Chinese government could use in the future to persecute them. So I think these worries are valid. But that being said, um, hundreds of people still stood up with us in activities such as um, we have a work formation activities that demands the China uh, government to freely. And we also have a campaign um, asking people to tie a yellow ribbon for Mingzhe. And we also organized a walk for Li Mingzhe on, his, uh, on one of um, its um, anniversary of his uh, imprisonment. So and thousands and thousands of postcards and letters were sent to Mingzhe in Chishan Jianyu. Mm -hmm. So I think maybe people would not stand up outright, but they like to, they still support Mingzhe in a more silent ways. Yeah, it's yeah quite... by sending him postcards. Or... Right. Yeah, it's yeah. 
it's quite complex as anyone who's listened to my podcast or who like keeps track of the situation and the exchange between Taiwan and China. It is very difficult, as you mentioned, if people in Taiwan do business in China or have relatives or there could be some implications if they, uh, you know, come out and publicly support or voice their opinions on this issue, which is quite unfortunate. Um, but I think that's something to understand in terms of perhaps why there isn't a lot of public support or it doesn't seem to be that sort of thing, like that there's huge rallies or things like that for leaving to, it's quite complex. I was curious because I think I saw in one of the letters that Jingyu uh, wrote, she mentioned something called the UN Standard Minimum Rules for Treatment of Prisoners. And um, can you comment on that and what we know about what that standard is and how Li Mingzhi has been treated since he's been imprisoned in China? So um, the standard minimum rules, also known as the Mandela rules, were significantly revised uh, in 2015 in the UN. And the new rules emphasizes uh, respect for uh, inherent human dignity and basic uh, human rights for inmates, such as um, equal treatment and the right to quality and free medical care and the restriction of the arbitrary disciplinary action and punishment of the management and the right of the inmate to keep contact with the outside world and the right to inform their families of their transfer, illness, injury. And the prison authority should also notify the inmates of the illness or death of their family members and should allow inmates to visit them when circumstances allow. I think it was um, on, the, on the occasion uh, when Mingzhe's father died mm-hmm. um, two years ago. At that time, Jing uh, Yu requested the uh, Chinese government to allow Mingzhe to attend his father's funeral. And just as I mentioned, it was clearly prescribed in the Mandela rules that mm-hmm. um, whenever possible, the, the management should help the detainee or the inmate to attend um, the ceremonies or funerals um, like this. Mm-hmm. So uh, actually, um, of course, there are huge gap between the Chinese prison acts and the, uh, and the Mandela rules. But more often than not, even though the Chinese um, law already included some similar provisions, but uh, legislation is one thing and the implementation is totally another. I I think just from what we have discussed, you can learn that um, in Ninja's case, a lot of um, his basic rights have been violated and breached. For example, uh, Jingyu was not able, uh, like others, family members, to regularly visit Every visit seems to be at the mercy of the Chinese government. In the beginning of his um, imprisonment, were they able to speak by phone or has it always been that they could only write letters? 
I'm curious nope. if that changed. I mean, for the uh, general Chinese uh, inmates, they're allowed to make um, phone calls to their family on a regular basis mm -hmm. with a special card. And because um, the card, the application of the card is kind of uh, restricted to those who have an uh, official Chinese ID. Mm -hmm. So since uh, both Li Mingzhe and Jing Yu are not Chinese citizens, it's very difficult for them to get a phone card mm. that can mm. be used to make those calls. Right. <laughs> yes, and <sighs> and the Chinese authority refused to accommodate this um, difference. Mm. Yeah, I mean, as we talk, we can begin to see um, all the inconsistencies so Li Mingzhu is not the only person who's been detained in China. Um, I'd like to bring a little bit of attention to any past cases or any other cases of people who've been detained or arrested in China. Um, so could you share about those cases? Yes. So, so far as I know, after Li, at least uh, four Taiwanese um, have been arrested in China on espionage charges, and one of them was even forced to confess on television. And those four people come from different political camps. Two of them actually have been long um, uh, two, oh, sorry, two of them have been longtime pan blue advocates for reunification for China and was very much engaged in cross-trade uh, exchanges. But they still have been subjected to forced disappearances, arbitrary detention, forced convention, and hefty sentences in China. Actually, the two Pen Blue professors have already been sentenced to four years in wow. prison for espionage in 2020. Hmm. Yes. And these cases have not received much public attention right. because their family did not want the case to go public in the mm. first place. Mm -hmm. They hoped that the China would be quicker to release the detainee if they keep low profile. Hmm. And apparently, they have not gone as they had hoped. Hmm. Things have not gone as they hoped. So I think this is a reminder that Taiwanese, regardless of our political stance, can fall prey to Chinese malicious manipulation. Yeah, that's an interesting point and an interesting comparison. I, it's unfortunate that... Um, the families don't wish to have this become more public. Um, I wish that they would so people could see that this treatment by the Chinese authorities is pretty indiscriminate. Um, what kind of um, support has um, Li Mingzhu or any of these other people who have been detained or arrested received from the current government or Tsai Ing-wen? It's a difficult questions. Yeah. Um, I think uh, President Tsai and uh, Taiwan's Mellon Affairs Council um, always issued um, statements of condemnation to China when, mm -hmm. whenever a case of such kind happened. Um, I think the MAC also keeps uh, close contact with the family members of those detainees. But apart from that, I don't really know what what 
kind of um, substantive help that they can provide to the detainees or the family members since the Chinese government refused to negotiate with our government. Yeah, it's so, a huge stonewall. <laughs> yes. And I'm not sure whether there's any, you know, under the table negotiation. Mm-hmm. It's really beyond my, my knowledge. Right. So. As I was doing research for this interview, the case of Nobel Peace Prize laureate Lu Xiaobo came up. If we look at what happened to him, I mean, there might be quite a bit of concern, you know, about what could possibly happen to Li Mingzi. Um, how would you compare those two situations? Mm, I think the fact that even an international celebrity like Liu Xiaopo and Chinese citizen, yeah, and was not able to receive quality medical care in a timely manner, really worries at about Mingzi's condition in prison. But I think the good side that uh, Mingzi is relatively young. And Jingyu, unlike uh, Liu Xiaobo's wife, Jingyu is um, very strong and she's now um, safe in Taiwan. So at least Mingzhe can be relatively free of worries about Jingyu and his mom. But uh, however, we sincerely hope that um, the international friends and governments will continue to care about and exert uh, pressure on China so that he can be released. Uh, because um, Li Mingzhe is not as prominent as Liu Xiaobo. So sometimes we worry that um, that people will lose interest or the, uh, you know, the foreign government will lose interest in Mingzhe's case as time goes by. Mm-hmm. What's your sense of that in terms of what the UN and other international organizations or amnesty, like what's your sense about how engaged they are in this situation? I think the prominent international human rights NGO that have been involved in the rescue efforts yeah. uh, have have um, continued to uh, follow up uh, Minja's case. For example, Human Rights Watch, uh, just issued a report on the situation of the ninja earlier this year. Mm-hmm. And Amnesty International has also been very supportive. Then they, they also uh, issue a periodic report about, not just about ninja, but also about all those uh, detainees, right. especially political prisoners mm-hmm. situation in China. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any statistics or know how many Taiwanese have disappeared or gone missing in China? So according to a piece of information that MAC issued uh, last year, uh, since May 20, 2016, the day uh, President Tsai Ing-wen took office up mm-hmm. to October 2020, mm-hmm. there were 149 Taiwanese people missing in China. Wow. And among them, 48 cases have not been able to be confirmed of their whereabouts up to now. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Oh, that's very concerning. Um, and also, as we see what has been um, going on with Hong Kong, 
I also wonder if there's any concerns that uh, Taiwanese in Hong Kong or yeah, that are in Hong Kong could be targeted because um, China is really clamping down on Hong Kong um, since the national security legislation was passed by China's National People's Congress in uh, June of 2020. Um, yep. Yeah. Mm, but um, actually, before the passage of the national security law, um, many Taiwanese academics, politicians, and human rights activists were not allowed to visit Hong Kong mm. anymore. Mm. And the last Taiwanese official based in Hong Kong was forced to leave a mm. few years ago. Mm. So... I've heard that some Taiwanese family living in Hong Kong have uh, moved back to Taiwan. And for those who remained, I believe that they must be very concerned about their safety. But uh, as one lady said in an interview, she said that now Hong Kong is very similar to China. So uh, as there are thousands of Taiwanese people working and living in China and they seems to be okay, then it's okay for her, you know, to stay in Hong Kong, you know, just consider Hong Kong as China. So maybe that's one way uh, of the Hong, of the Taiwanese who remain in Taiwan and uh, remain in Hong Kong to survive the situation. Yeah, but yeah. what concerns me more is about uh, the safety of our Hong Kong friends whose yes. work involves human rights issues mm-hmm. and social mm-hmm. movements. Mm-hmm. I also like to share a, a, a very new report um, issued by the Safeguard uh, Defenders a few weeks ago. It says that um, around 600 uh, Taiwanese have been extradited from uh, different parts of the world mm. to China for mm. trial. Oh, wow. um, yes. So uh, those sixty, uh, the, those six hundred people were suspected to committed crimes such as telecom uh, fraud, and because there there are extradition treaties between China and those countries, so and on uh, and. Also because of the One China policy, so those countries seems uh, those countries feel compelled to send those people to China for trial. I think that is a worrying trend. Yeah, it's very troubling. Um, is that report available anywhere for people that want yes, to? Yes, I can send you the link. Really want to thank you. I really appreciate this. Um, I think it's very important. I wanted to have this episode done around the time of International Human Rights Day. I wonder if there's anything else that you wanted to add or comment on. So uh, Jerry knows that uh, I'm going to be interviewed by your show. And she asked me to convey her gratitude. And he, she wants to say thank you to all of you who keep um, care, caring about Mingzhe. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Yibi, I want to thank you so much for taking time of your schedule to talk about this important case about Mingzhe and human rights issues in general with respect to Taiwan and China.
Thank you, Felicia. Hope to see you soon. Yes. I've been speaking with Yibiu Huang, the CEO of Covenants Watch, about the Taiwanese political prisoner Li Mingzhu. We have some exciting news to share. Talking Taiwan is an official nominee for the 2021 AAP Golden Crane Podcast Awards. On behalf of the Asian American Podcasters Association, we want to congratulate you as a 2021 Golden Crane Podcast Awards nominee. We look forward to seeing you at the second annual Golden Crane Podcast Awards show. It's Black Tie. and will be held live Tuesday, December 21st, 2021, 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. Make sure to invite your family, friends, and listeners to attend. We're excited to celebrate your unique voice as a podcaster. Once again, congratulations! We'd love it if you'd show us your support by attending the award show. Visit TalkingTaiwan.com for a link to attend the 2021 Golden Crane Podcast Awards on December 21st. If you enjoy this episode, go on over to Audible or Apple Podcasts and leave us a review there. It helps others to discover Talking Taiwan. Tell a friend about us or subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. To learn more about any of the items mentioned in this episode, visit our website, TalkingTaiwan.com. There will list any related links. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Taiwan. I'm your host, Felicia Lin. Talking Taiwan is brought to you by Forumosa.com. 